1: One foot before the other, let's begin. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Kyle.
2: <laughs> and I'm Matthew. Welcome to your podcast of Music Discovery.
1: Yeah, uh, we're proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you enjoy Audio Judo, you might enjoy one of the other podcasts we produce as well, Line, where host Christian investigates the common theme running through an album. We'll be starting its second season coming up pretty shortly. Uh, and Audio Judo does jazz, where host Chris talks about the history and stories behind some of your favorite jazz albums and musicians. Uh, it'll be back early, mid next year for uh, its second season um all three of those uh, are proudly part of the pantheon podcast network like i already said pantheon podcast is the home of music podcasts on the web with over a hundred podcasts in the network there's definitely something there that you'll enjoy so after you're done listening to the audio judo podcast go check them out at pantheon podcasts with an s.com
2: yeah, you got through that in one one go. Finally,
1: did it in one take. <laughs> <laughs> it
2: was nice. It's because somebody knew was watching. So this week, Kyle mm. is a very special week because not only is it our fourth Patreon episode, Patreon episode, Patreon, 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 uh, but our guest host today is uh, patronus. my patronus. Right? Is, is uh, <laughs> my musical mentor, uh, the one responsible for introducing me to the passion for music, but also the desire to share it with other people. We are joined today uh, by my big brother and friend Mike. All the way from Ann Arbor, Michigan Welcome in, Mike Yeah,
1: welcome, Mike Thank you How do you do? So, Kyle
2: A couple things you need to know So my brother is uh, nine years older than me Okay So he was well along on his musical journey When I was old enough to know what music really was Uh, His bedroom was the basement of our house which also happened to be where I did a lot of my uh, playing as a toddler and beyond. (laughs) Uh, So needless to say, our two worlds uh, collided quite often. Uh, While he was down there doing his homework and listening to Rush and Boston and a myriad of other bands that he used to listen to, I was right there in the middle of it, playing with my Hot Wheels, playing with my Star Wars (laughs) figures, and endlessly throwing a tennis ball against the basement stairs. So all of that stuff seeped in during those very formative years, and uh, my base of music was pretty broad when I hit adolescence, and I kind of developed a musical curiosity of my own. Uh, What is suspect, though, is that while we listened to so many things together, we never really discussed the whys of a musical selection. Why did he like it? Why did it resonate? Why was it relevant? Uh, Mostly, we just passed tapes and CDs back and forth to each other. Eventually, our paths diverged. While he would always love Rush and Marillion and some other bands, he drifted towards blues and also, inexplicably to me, because he never listened to this while I was growing up to my knowledge, thrash metal. <laughs> bands like Slayer, Pantera, Testament were, were not in my vocabulary. And he always preferred these really heavy things, and I preferred more melodic bands like yep. Iron Maiden, uh, which he also introduced me to. So I drifted towards alternative and jazz, and some of those bands never really entered into his vocabulary either, some bands I listened to, uh, but whenever we reconnected, we could share the music we loved, and that has always been awesome. So with all these bands between us, all this rock and all this stuff, and his love for metal and things like that, what does he do? He picks <laughs> a freaking bluegrass album, something I never thought in a million years he was going to do. I had a list prepared of records I thought he was going to choose, and he <laughs> picked that one, and I'm like, well, I threw this piece of shit out. <laughs> and then start over. So, Mike, can you tell me what album you chose for us today?
3: Yeah, I chose the uh, Grammy award winning uh, album from Billy Strings called Home. Yeah. And uh, do you want to know why? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I never actually I never thought that I would be interested in any of this either. Um, I you're exactly right. I've always liked the heavier side of stuff, the heavier side of prog rock for that matter, and and uh and regular hard rock, 70s rock. And I started to kind of bail away from some of the later rush stuff and finding shoegaze and things like that. But uh one of the things that I do often too is you know while I'm watching TV at night. Is uh, see what's on uh, Austin City Limits. Mm -hmm. Nice. And that's where I saw Billy Strings for the first time. And it was during one of the psychedelic interludes, you know, playing. First of all, you know, it was right in the middle of that that I saw that I started watching the show. I was like, who is this guy? And I thought it was just psychedelic rock, but then he started playing the rest of his gig and it was all bluegrass. I'm like, this is kind of cool. And incidentally, uh, our next door neighbor, when she, passed, so she was a hoarder of things and she had an estate or her family had an estate sale after she passed and there was a banjo in her living room. <laughs> That's where I got thought, the banjo. This is cool. <laughs> and I'd love to learn how to play a banjo and I asked her, you know, the sister, how much it's worth and she said, well, we'll let it go for 400 I said, well, then you're going to have to let me go. So <laughs> 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 too steep for me. And uh, we went home and like early or later on that evening, they came over and they gifted it to me oh. because I showed an interest and also because we watched out for her mother before she passed and we you know, raked their leaves and stuff like that. And they thought that uh, since I showed an interest, you know, that I would do something with it. Nice.
1: That's sweet. I haven't.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I tried learning. Is like I, I learned that you have to have obnoxiously short fingernails and that gets into my uh, untying fishing knots. Mm. So, ah,
2: yes. His other yeah. pastime.
3: There's priorities. When hobbies collide.
2: Right? Exactly. Mm, That's a name of another good (laughs) – (laughs)
3: Well, I was also kind of shocked in my interest in bluegrass, too, because it is very obviously devoid of percussion. Oh, you
2: just skipped right to page five of my notes. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay, because it's going to come up, because it has to come up.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the only bluegrass band I know of that has percussion is Leftover Salmon, that Billy Strings actually sits on with them Mm -hmm. once in a while.
2: So, I was aware of Billy Strings, uh, mostly from you, because you've talked about, you know, you saw him in concert, and so mm. my curiosity was piqued. Uh, but as soon as you said it, I knew I was going to have to dig in pretty hard to get this right. I don't know if you felt the same way, Kyle, when you saw it on the list. Little and bit, you're like, yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> that
1: was like a bluegrass album. Oh, crap.
2: So, uh, <laughs> just some basic stuff here. Home was released on September 27th, 2019. Stayed on the Billboard Bluegrass Album Chart for 77 weeks, peaking at number one. It also won his first grand. Award for Bluegrass Album of the Year in 2021, beating a bunch of artists I don't know, like the Steep Canyon Rangers, who are apparently really good, as someone mm-hmm. at work informed me last week huh. when I was uh, talking about this. And they're like, Steep Canyon Rangers, they're awesome. I'm like, K. <laughs> uh, uh, It's an album full of interesting musical choices. Obviously, we'll talk about that in the track by track. And there's connections here to Corey Wong and Wolf that I know yeah. you know, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, and other connections. He, he did something recently with. Uh, Willie Nelson, who, like I mentioned to Mike the other day, Willie Nelson is the male equivalent of Dolly Parton at the moment. So everybody wants to work with Dolly and Willie right now. So Mm -hmm. they're still very, very hot because, you know, I don't know how many chances you have. So But before we talk about Home, we should talk about the artist uh, that made the album, Billy Strings. Kyle?
1: Yeah. So his real name is uh, William Lee Apostle. I was born October 3rd, 1992 in Lansing, Michigan, and it makes me feel old. It's about Uh, 30
2: or 45 minutes from where Mike is right now. So uh, Oh, like cool. 45 yeah, minutes. I was, yeah. I was yeah. just yeah, about to they're...
1: say, so I think everybody here is from Michigan except me, right? That is correct, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm the odd man out. All right. So uh, as all good blues musicians and uh, bluegrass musicians have, uh, he has an apocryphal story of his birth. Billy swears. This is true. Uh, it begins with his mother going into labor during a bluegrass picking party, because of course it does. And then she was rushed <laughs> to the hospital by a family friend who was a hitman. Uh, and then he was born. Whether true or not, makes a good story, right? Yeah. Um, His father, uh, his real father, died of a heroin overdose when he was only two years old. And his mother remarried a guy named Terry Barber, uh, who's an accomplished bluegrass musician in his own right.
2: Yeah. People, what people should know, Lansing is the capital of Michigan. Mm -hmm. uh, And like a lot of cities in the Midwest, it has its issues with drug abuse and depressed economies. And I think this is part and parcel with his story. Um, But yeah, Terry Barber. Go Uh, ahead.
1: So uh, Billy thinks of Terry as his real father. Um, He Mm -hmm. did a interview with rolling stone and he said quote terry raised me and taught me how to wipe my ass tie my shoes and play guitar that's my fucking dad so it's a pretty good that's a pretty good endorsement Mm -hmm. um family moved around a few times uh before billy was a teenager first to uh, moorhead kentucky uh and then to muir michigan which i I, i'm not now again muir
2: Muir is a smaller small village about 20 miles or so northwest of lansing on the banks of the grand river uh kind of your quiet village that most people forget about until you drive through it on your way to somewhere else
1: billy did Say in that same interview, "quote There's nothing to do there. That's why everyone gets hooked on drugs." Exactly, and that's what—that's my next sentence. Like
2: because of where it is, there's not a lot to do. So before he even reached his teen years, his parents fell victim to the scourge of the Midwest meth yeah. addiction. Scourge of everywhere currently. But
1: yeah, in fact, at age thirteen, he ended up moving out because he was so uh, upset with the situation at home because both of his parents were meth addicts, and he he said that it was like having no parents, even though they were sitting right in front of him. I could not find out exactly what he did during. During this period, he apparently still went to school. So my assumption is he lived with somebody, family, friends, whoever. Um, but during the same period, he did also do a lot of different drugs. Uh, for sure, he's mentioned crack, cocaine, heroin, meth, um, and it, the article just says others. So um, he actually finally Assorted. quit after a, a what he calls a terrifyingly bad trip on heroin. Um, he described it as quote, you know, in Lord of the Rings when Frodo puts on the ring and those motherfuckers can see him. When I did, what I did that night. Uh, I was in the same dimension as the Grim Reaper. The heroine was the ring. I was really scared of dying. Mm. So after that, he stuck uh, with lighter drugs like weed and alcohol for a while. And after a few years, he also quit drinking uh, after a bad gig where he was drunk on stage. Mm. That's never good. He did graduate from high school. uh, And around that same time, his parents got sober, which is a a really good thing to happen. Uh, And they're all still very close, which I think is awesome. Mm. In 2012, a couple years after graduating, Billy was asked by uh, Don Julin, who's a mandolin player and author of uh, Mandolin for Dummies.
2: Also uh, a a Traverse City, uh, Michigan resident. Oh, there you go. Uh, Yeah, he wrote uh, Mandolin for Dummies, which... I write a couple snippets of. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make the mandolin any easier. <laughs> <laughs> I might want to write a, a new one called mandolin for big dummies.
1: <laughs> it definitely feels like one of those instruments that would be difficult to play no matter what. I feel like my hand's too big. That yeah, neck is so too. wee. Like
2: you need, can't have sausage fingers. No. <laughs> like, you just mash it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, Kyle. crush it and just <laughs> snap it in half. I digress. <laughs>
1: So uh, he reached out to uh, uh, Billy, and uh, they started to play together. It actually started a four-year collaboration between the two. They released two albums, one called Rock of Ages and one called Fiddle Tune X. Both yep. seem to be pretty good albums. He also what got his be? name. Uh, yeah,
2: right around there. His aunt. His aunt. Yeah, he began, yeah, began began uh, calling him Billy Strings after seeing him play multiple instruments, yeah. which makes sense. Right. So after knocking around for several years with uh, Julian, he was featured in a Rolling Stone magazine article in 2017 as one of the top 10 new country artists to follow. Strange. And would win multiple uh, awards for his playing. His debut album, Turmoil and Tinfoil, was named one of the best albums of 2017 by the Huffington Post. The album charted at number three on the bluegrass charts. And he's also an extremely hard worker. He had over Hmm. 200 concerts in 2018 alone, which is an incredibly heavy workload. So you've seen him in concert, right, Mike? Yes, I have. What was that yeah. like? Tell Actually, it,
3: it surprised me. I, I mean, I I had listened to a bunch of the stuff prior to going, you know, and listening to the album on the way up to the show up in Flint. I was surprised how how loud it was. I thought it was, you know, bluegrass is all going to be kind of medium volume, but he cranked it up really. And <laughs> he, he had, you know, I had some psychedelic swirls in the background during some of the of the parts, but. All of the musicians in their own right are are just top notch. They're amazing performers. Uh, Amy just she took a liking to the mandolin player right away. He's like, is that a green cardigan? Yeah, I think it's a green cardigan. I think he got it in a, you know, <laughs> at a thrift shop. You know, he's a hippie. You know, <laughs> hippie. <laughs> But it was it was such it was such a good show. Very and uh, he got his performing chops playing in his metal bands. I know that just by some of the you know headbanging he was doing. While he was playing,
2: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he has a pretty six distinctive background in rock and mm. metal and stuff like that, which shows through yeah, in his true. playing. And you can definitely tell in the the little videos that I've seen, he's got a ton of energy on stage, which is you know the opposite of the laid back country and bluegrass vibe that you'd be expecting. Right. And you know, there's something to be said about marrying two worlds together that that sparks interest, and that I think that's a huge right. testament to taking a genre that. We've kind of pigeonholed and said, "Oh, it's bluegrass, so it's got to be like this." And turning it on its ear and making it more accessible to people.
3: Well, he recognized that right away too, and that was um, one of the. I saw him on CBS Sunday Morning. They did a snippet on him and uh, Billy Strings, who's going to save bluegrass.
1: So obviously, obviously, though, no pressure on him when people are telling him, you know, oh, hey, you're the one who's going to save Bluegrass. You're the one who's going to be the well, savior yeah, right. of Bluegrass. Come yeah, on no in kidding. and fix it all for us. Like- right. 2019,
2: Rolling Stone did another article uh-huh. on him called The Bluegrass Star You Do Not Want to Miss. And again, there you go. There's the pressure. Uh, so a few months later, he signed to Rounder Records and set to record the album that we're going to talk about today, Home. So this album was released in September 2019, like we said. Uh, it was recorded at the Sound Emporium studios in Nashville, and this is no slouch of a studio. Yeah. Albums by Alison Krauss and Robert Plant, Jelly Roll, Smashing Pumpkins have recorded there. Yeah, weird, right? And you expected them to have amazing recording studios considering that Nashville is very much the seat of recorded studio music now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think everybody else records in their basement, in their living room. You know, the the way of the studio, you know, is 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 gone except for in Nashville where there are all these studios. Mm-hmm. The producer on the album is Glenn Brown. Uh, he's a very accomplished engineer and producer. He's based in East Lansing. And like you mentioned about his live shows, he assembled a spectacular group of musicians on this album with all sorts of bluegrass instrumentation. But as I looked through it and listened to the record, there was something very unique missing from the album, and it took me a while to figure out what it was. Both yeah. of us are drummers. Yeah. Both of us love listening to talented drummers, and there, there's not a drum to be found on this record. No. <laughs> it
3: might sound like there is, but I'm pretty sure he's knocking on his acoustic or something, you know, or maybe tapping his foot. You could hear it,
2: but that's. I find it. it so vexing and interesting <laughs> that you would grab. Towards something that lacks the very instrument that you play.
3: Well, actually, I'm, if you think about it, it's not that ironic because I can't play thrash metal on drums either, you know. And I do like to hear something that I can't do necessarily. Mm. That's why I gravitated to playing blues because, in my opinion, it's it's pretty easy for me to do, <laughs> you know. But all these <laughs> other guys that are technical, I was like, oh, I'll just watch you do that. That's amazing, you know. Huh. Oh, and I, actually, I remembered what I was going to say about uh, Billy Strings is that he made a point on that uh, CBS Sunday Morning thing Saying that all of his influences, the biggest thing about bluegrass, it was all stoic. It's all stoicism. They're all just kind of standing there and playing standing amazingly there. fast stuff and not yeah. moving, not showing any kind of emotion. And <laughs> right. he said, Which would make it difficult to
2: doing. sell tickets to a concert if you know you're just going to see a statue <laughs> right. playing playing the guitar. Unless you're going to the Grand Ole Opry, and I guess there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh Kyle, do you have anything else or you want to move to the cover art?
1: Well, Let's, let's talk a little bit about some of these uh, non-percussion artists that are on here, shall we?
2: Oh, yes, please. Mm. So
1: uh, Billy Failing uh, plays banjo and sings some of the background vocals. Uh, Failing's an excellent and accomplished banjo player in his own right. and uh, He also plays solo with other bands such as uh, Rose City Ramblers and Molly Tuttle. Jared Walker on mandolin and vocals. Uh, Jared's also a solo artist and songwriter. He has a couple albums out on his own. Royal Massat on bass and vocals. Uh, Royal moved to Nashville to do studio work and meet other musicians. He actually met Billy through a buddy at a fish concert. Billy called him a few months later for a jam session that turned into a gig. And then he started playing bass because his, uh, originally he started playing bass because his older siblings, who were all musical and all played in a family band called the Massat family band, needed a bass player. So you're the youngest. We don't have a bass player. Guess you yeah, 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 to for the bass? team. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, there are also some people credited as additional musicians on top of that. Uh, John Maylander on violin, Glenn Brown on the Buchla CM100 synth, vibraphone, shaker, finger cymbal, sitar, harmonium. And also credited string arrangements. uh Molly Tuttle on some vocals. Christian mm-hmm. Seldmore on mm-hmm. violin and viola. Caitlin Rates on cello. John Churchville on tablas. Uh, Megan Campbell on vocals, and uh, Jerry Douglas on uh, doboro, or dobro, oh, the, the dobro, 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 dobro. 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 I that wrong. dobro. Uh, and then Glenn Brown, obviously, like you said, uh, produced this with assistant engineers: Lowell Reynolds, Dan Davis, Preston White, and Evan Wilbur.
2: So, so there is a tabla on there. Yeah. All so right.
1: I guess technically there's a little bit of percussion on this album, but not it's a much. wee
2: bit. Just a wee bit. Yeah, assorted percussion.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, the artwork
2: super unique painting
1: I normally try to do some kind of a written description of what a cover is I had nowhere to start on this one
2: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, it's a a painting by an artist named Sean Williams and uh, he goes by the name Squishy Eyes on social media (laughs) and his work is very it's really interesting Uh, it has a jam band poster quality to it Mm. Uh, and that probably is part of the draw because you can sell these posters at every single concert because people collect them from different shows. I know yeah. Fish and Widespread Panic and 311 bands like that. They can't. They have a different poster for every show on their tour. That Billy Strings has the same thing. Oh, yeah, Actually, everybody thing.
3: that was in line for merch at the show that I went to, they're all getting posters. I'm like, why?
2: And <laughs> they just apparently there was a different poster at each show. Oh, that's cool. And they, that's what been chasing them for. Mm. <laughs> See, that makes sense. Do you have any more about that, Kyle?
1: The only other thing I've got is um, Sean Williams. If you look for him online, the first person that comes up when you search for sean williams is somebody from nashville i was like oh interesting this has got to be the person uh that person is a pedophile and escaped convict who's been all over the news it is not that sean williams uh it is a very different sean williams Uh, sean williams the artist is uk based i believe hmm, so So just as a heads up if you go to find some more of his artwork not the same person uh took me a little while to dig through that trying
2: to put those two things together you're like squishy eyes pedophile weird (laughs)
1: oh shit the thing was it popped up and it's like uh local uh, uh local Sean Williams and then I couldn't read the rest of the title and it was from Nashville and I was like, oh this has gotta be him like announcing an art release or something and like convicted pedophile escaped from prison and I was like, oh, oh no. no. Oh no. But uh thankfully not not the same person. So good news. But uh beyond that, no, I got nothing else to, to talk about. Like I said, it's a very beautiful cover, uh very complex piece of art. It's hard to describe, so go take a look at it. It
2: is. It's weird. It's a. it's trippy. Yeah. So you want to uh want to take a little break and come back and do the very exciting track. Track. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Today's show is brought to you by Atomic Podcast Services. Are you tired of spending hours hunched over your computer, struggling to edit your podcast episodes? Do you want more time to create instead of editing? Well, we have the solution for you. Introducing Atomic Podcast Services, a premium podcast editing service that will take your show to the next level.
1: With Atomic Podcast Services, you can say goodbye to tedious editing tasks and hello to a polished, professional sounding podcast. They will expertly enhance your audio quality, seamlessly remove background noise, and ensure every episode sounds crystal clear. But that's not all. As part of their premium service, they will also help you with ID3 tagging, scheduling, and posting of episodes, and for a little extra, even create engaging audiograms to promote your episodes on social media platforms. There's even a discount if you subscribe to their monthly services. With Atomic Podcast Services, you'll have more time. Time to focus on what you do best, creating incredible content.
2: So, why waste another minute struggling with complex editing software? But Atomic Podcast Services take care of the technical side while you focus on captivating your audience. Visit their website at atomicpods, that's pods with a Z.com, to learn more and book your editing session today. Hey there, this is Glenn Phillips from Toad the Wet Sprocket. You are listening to the Audio Judo Podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Welcome back. Taking on water, right? So I think the first thing that sticks out to me is that I was not expecting a Michigan boy, although I know he spent some time in Kentucky to sound so Southern when he sang. Is that really how he sounds? Like I didn't I didn't listen to any interviews. Does he talk like that too? Yep. Does he have? really?
3: Okay. Interesting. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean not it not as twangy. You know, obnoxiously twangier, but
2: <laughs> Okay. You
3: no, know, it, it's it's in the background. You can you can hear hints of it. And judging from all of you know, him going back to his roots and his dad coaching him on real classic bluegrass, it's not a surprise to me that that's the way he sounds.
2: So the banjo playing Acoustic guitar is, is first rate, right? It's pretty clear that the young man knows what he's doing. It's a, There's an amazing amount of dexterity there. But as you might expect, Kyle, I'd like to focus on the lyrics for a second. Of course. So uh, Billy had <laughs> this to say about the topic of what the song was. Uh, he said, I come from a small town and I've traveled through a lot of places that are really desolate, just abandoned neighborhoods where homeless people live. I was thinking about Flint, Michigan and Detroit, there's been bad water in Flint for years, and they still haven't fixed that. And thinking about all these people that are left behind by society, and it's just not cool. right? I think we can all relate and sympathize with the Flint situation. You know, right? It is and has been brutal for years. I really don't know if they have fixed it, attempted to fix it, or even have plans to fix it at the moment. So Mike and I did not grow up in the shittiest of suburbs. Uh, it was pretty normal back then. Uh, but in the years since we've left, that area has certainly slipped into uh, decay. Yeah, People move north or west to the new developments. And uh, these houses and areas that were special to us fall into disrepair. And I think the best line of the song, there's a the line in the song that says, there's an empty spot in me where my hometown used to be. Right, And I think that that says a lot. You were going to say something, Kyle, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, so I actually know about Flint because... Uh, okay, go ahead. A couple weeks ago, there was a big blow up online about it. Oh. So apparently... Uh, they do. They have gotten new funding. They've been in the process of rebuilding the entire water system there. It is currently ninety three percent complete, and there is currently nowhere within Flint that tests higher than fifteen parts per million for lead in the water, which is the federal standard. Okay, well that's it's good. It's still too much. It, it still is. is. You know, when you look at you know standards from the rest of the world, where the standard is zero, zero. parts per million, um, mm. it's too much. Uh, There's still a long ways to go. But currently, the water there with minimal filtration is is very drinkable. And, you know, you can shower in it without worrying about dying, basically. Right. Um, but they still have a long ways to go.
2: So, I'm just thinking about where we come from and stuff like that. It's it's just a sad reminder of, you know, places where we live. It uh, uh, sounds like this.
4: Things I still can't stand to see. There's an empty spot in me. Where my hometown used to be This old boat Is taking water It won't be long Till it goes down Had enough To push us over Time to turn The wheel around
2: So there's some mighty fine violin playing on this song uh, as the rest of the record by John Maylander. And I don't know if you guys looked into it. He has a bluegrass album called Look Closer that is absolutely spectacular Mm -hmm. i didn't listen Uh, to
1: it i saw the album but i didn't take a listen
2: this style of music is not my bag but it's growing on me because there's some tremendously gifted musicians out there that his album was incredible is incredible like i'm like whoa just some of the sounds are just just beautiful haunting very cool melodies I was kind of surprised
3: in this particular song because I thought it was when I first heard it, a little bit more of a discussion about him getting out of the, and his family getting out of the methamphetamines, the drug addiction thing, you know, friends and loved ones falling down, you know, and getting out of that, mm-hmm. that cycle. And actually, I think, I think he's mentioned before too, that he's kind of surprised and happy that you can look at each of these songs from a different perspective.
2: Definitely, I bring a, bring that up later because the topic. I mean, the album's called Home. Kind of right. know what the record's going to be about, and that yeah. kind of leads into Must Be Seven, which is the next song. And it, you know, became pretty clear on the second song why he called this record Home. And I think this one is about what you were just talking about, Mike. Yeah, the, maybe the, so. F- yeah. The first two songs are about those relationships, whether they be with the home itself or surroundings or relationships we've built in that place, being home. Uh, Mm -hmm. This whole song is about people in more or less dead-end positions in the town where they grew up, and they move on to do better, regardless of what their situation was. Was it a bad job? Was it drugs? Was it this? And all looking back from seven years in the future, since they decided to make that change. Uh, And I can relate to that big time. I know... I know you, Mike, and my sister, Kathy, who's out there listening somewhere, other than a few periods here and there living out of the country for you and a couple other spots, you two have always resided in Michigan. And I was always determined not to live there. Mm -hmm. And while it has nothing to do with the reasons from this song... There is always a spot of looking back, sometimes with nostalgia, but often realizing that, for me, it was so much better to not be there Mm -hmm. around certain relationships. Uh, Mm. I know you can get... Strangled by being there and mm-hmm. un- unable to let go of certain things unless you moved away, mm-hmm. if, which would lead you down bad roads. So the, definitely this song resonated very specifically for me. There's a, there's also a guest appearance on this song by Molly, Molly Tuttle, uh, who sings backup. Uh, she's very accomplished as well. Her and her band Molly Tuttle and the Golden Highway just released a new record this year.
3: Oh. Yeah, apparently that was a kind of a, an accident. She was kind of cruising through this, uh, the area in the studio, and, and Billy noticed her and said, Hey, you want to sing on my album? She goes, Hell yeah. She,
2: and, he taught, <laughs> and he
3: taught her the parts, and she did. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Love that. He's like, uh, hey, you in the hallway. <laughs> come <laughs> here. We want to be on my record? You want, Hey, can I sing on your record? <laughs> <laughs> DJ Khaled. <laughs> How come DJ Khaled's not on this record? Or is he? <gasps> he might be. Anyway, uh, this is what Must Be Seven sounds like.
4: Well, she was so distracted by the color of the room. She never thought that she would see her little flower blooming. Take the cars that he was built Until the house of the big bad wolf could not blow down And it must be seven years now Since they turned the lives around
1: I think this is a great song. It's it's interesting how he kind of takes the it's somewhat autobiographical mm. obviously because it's things that he went through and the time frame kind of lines up. If he really did leave home at 13, around the time he would have been graduating at 18 or 19 would be about 7 years later when he, you know, the family started to see one another again and the story here to me sounds like it is somebody who's returning after 7 years to see the rundown and see how nobody's left. Everything's exactly the same. They come back mm. and they see the walls all look the same. The house is still there and it looks the same and everybody's still doing the same thing. The, uh, the dad or whoever it is goes and gets himself a drink from the cabinet the same way that he used to do. Mm. I like that it's kind of autobiographical there, but he intentionally changes the lyrics enough and makes it about some fictitious woman who was a girl and grew into a woman who to sort of turn it on its head. So you have to question it and say, is this really about him or is this actually a fictitious story? Or is it just a generalized story about everything that happened in this part of the country? Mm-hmm. I think it was a really smart move because now he can say, well, it's not specifically about me, but maybe it's about my experiences.
2: Mm, I like that. Well yeah, everybody said. He could take a chunk.
1: Yeah. Uh, Running. Guess what? Another song about leaving home. What? Um, <laughs> three in a row. This uh this one again is it's left pretty vague. All we know is that they're running away from everything that they know. It's it's a really nice song. There's a cool instrumental break right in the middle of it, and it's got a lot of like uh picking in it that's really good. And, and one thing I was gonna bring up somewhere in here is uh have either of you ever listened to um uh Iron Horse, the band? No. No, it sounds familiar though. So they did a couple of albums called uh, uh, The Bluegrass Tribute to Metallica. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, um, yeah, so I, guess, it, I guess it's called Fade to Bluegrass the, Bluegrass, the Bluegrass Tribute yeah, to Metallica. Right. There's a lot in this song and a couple others on here that absolutely reminded me, and I was for sure that there was going to be some artist crossover there and that I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that person playing the banjo? None. So <laughs> I was very <laughs> okay. surprised. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very much, uh, uh, it sounds very similar. And it also, there's a whole series I guess of uh, blinking tributes, picking on that's it, yeah. Uh, of uh, a whole bunch of different albums that I I had no idea there were so many because I'd heard the Metallica one before. Apparently, there are two of those now, uh, Mm -hmm. but there's also probably 50 more. So,
3: yeah, there's one picking on the 90s. That's what I'm, I yeah, one headlight was a a song that I heard the other day, (laughs) Wallflowers in the 90s, yeah. And I'm just wondering (laughs) what else is on that album. So
2: yeah. Kyle, you mentioned that, you know, he's running from something. Yeah. Right. And I also believe that he's running to something in the song as well. He's okay. he mentions a couple things. He's like, run to the river, run to the sea. And he said, if we kept rolling right out of town, we'll reach the promised land before they tear it down. So he's he's running to something as well. Just depends on what it is that that he's running to. And and now this is what I expected to hear when you said Billy String's bluegrass album. This was more like, you know, Earl Scruggs dueling banjos. Yeah,
3: that's right. right. I
2: remember remember that mom and dad had the 8-track of dueling banjos. And I I used to listen to that a few times when I was still in my very early John Denver days. Mm -hmm. That fast-picking style that, although I know it isn't, sounds like the tempo is picking up all the way through. There's just the thing in your, it just does it in your head. It sounds like it's getting faster, even though that I really know that it isn't. Uh, It's pretty awesome. It sounds like this.
3: He plays a lot with some uh, minor key arpeggios, too. I I hear that a lot in the background as
2: he's kind of vamping a little bit. Yeah, there's some interesting changes in there that he does. But this is where the album turns. Away from the mire is where the album turns for me. So before I started listening to the song, I had to do a double take uh, because it said it was 7 minutes and 44 seconds for a bluegrass song. So when I listened to it, I realized that this isn't typical bluegrass at all. This is when the album becomes something else entirely. The melody is very rock ballady. There are touches of stuff like Dave Matthews, even blues travelers kind of stuff in there. There are a lot of influences poking their head in on this one. And it's where the album really started to make sense to me. I absolutely love this song. I love the guitar work in the back of the song. It's just the second half. It's just wonderful. And uh, remember what I said about there being no drums. It wasn't until the second pass of the record that I realized that because mm-hmm. I think my brain just put them in.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's there's a natural percussion of uh, acoustic guitar.
2: Yeah, that rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can totally see a wonderful little drum part for this song. So does he play live with a drummer? No. Not no. at
3: all. No, it's just the four guys up front
2: on, on
3: stage, and you, you don't miss it at huh. all, which it, is it a shock to me.
2: Yeah. Away from the mire, the it sounds like this.
3: song that was on when I tuned into Austin City Limits, so I had no idea it was bluegrass until they got to the end of this part.
2: Yeah, why? Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't no. know.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's got that very kind of like fish sound to it and that very <laughs> psychedelic, like you were saying, so you would never know that was bluegrass.
2: That sound change that he went from the acoustic to the electric, it almost layered over one another, kind of blended into each other.
3: When he did it live, he didn't change guitars. He was playing an acoustic with pickups to oh. get that sound. It was, wow. Whoa. That, that's why I, it kind of, it kind of threw me and actually he'll move it around where he'll play the, that kind of psychedelic stuff in a solo of a different song and just, you know, whatever, whatever they're working with at the time, whatever their tour is, they want to focus on, they could just launch into it.
2: Uh, Billy had this to say about the song. He said, a lot of these songs are very personal, Mm -hmm. even though they might seem vague. This song is about some really personal stuff between me and a family member. I wrote it down when I was pissed off. Sometimes when I get into an argument or I read something in a newspaper that pisses me off, I'll just get my pen out and start writing about it. And I totally get that. There's really no one in the world that you can disagree with more vehemently than family. (laughs) And maybe it's because they know you best and you're pretty exposed to them as opposed to an acquaintance. And when they say, I don't know... I have political views that fall outside the person you thought they were all this time. It's disappointing mm-hmm. and can piss you off. I totally yeah. relate when you're like, <laughs> you're someone I've, I've known my whole life. I had no idea you were like that. And no. it's it's very, it makes you sick a little bit. <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful song with some uh, great accompaniment as well. A little vibraphone action on this song by uh, producer Glenn Brown. I, think
3: cool. I thought it was kind of cool too when they in the beginning and coming out of the psychedelics of going back into the the main. Bluegrass sound of it is the guitar and the mandolin and the violin are all playing the same notes. No one's playing harmony in it. It's all holding the 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 melody, melody of it. Nice.
1: I definitely feel like too, if this were on vinyl, this is this would be the wrap-up for side one. It just it has that feeling to me of like oh, a long yeah. extended jam session. you mm. Kind of you know, play it out and then you bring it back a little bit and then that side ends and you've got to flip it over.
2: Right, spin it into the grooves yeah nice home
1: makes sense to me title track mm. uh, this one was interesting it was written during a songwriting exercise with uh, billy's good friend uh, her name is Lindsay Lou. Mm. the mm. exercise was they would both write down they would call each other at nine in the morning and say hey it's songwriting day let's write some songs hang up they would both try to write 10 songs between 9 a.m and 6 p.m
2: that's a crazy number
1: yeah right <laughs> 10 songs in you know <laughs> nine hours then they, at 6 p.m., they would get together either on the phone or in person, and then they would show the songs off and say, oh, that one's good. Oh, you didn't do very good with that one. Oh, that one sucks. Whatever. Interesting way to write music because, I mean, you, you know somebody's going to hold you, your feet to the coals if you don't get something written. Right. So I, I like that. There's a couple of songs on here that he mentioned were written that way. Yeah. There's also uh, the electric guitar on this that Billy uses uh, was actually one built by his grandfather while he was in yeah. prison. Yeah. Uh, it had been sitting in pieces in his grandmother's closet for years, and he had it put back together and restored um, after he started to get a little bit of money, which I thought was super interesting and really cool that he still has that piece of history.
3: Yeah, he says it's a screamer, too. Yeah. That, yeah. that guitar, he loves
1: it. <laughs> That's cool.
2: Kind of through the kitchen sink at, at this track, right? Swirling guitars, sitars, tabla, cellos, violins, synth parts, all kinds of stuff going on here. And he even said that he, he tuned his guitar to really strange tuning Definitely. when he wrote this, right? Tried to imagine himself in a cold cabin in the winter uh, with, you know, snowstorm closing in. He can't get the fire lit. And he tried to match his playing to the words for this story. It's pretty effective. It right. uh, sounds like this. late 60s early 70s rock solo.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: It just has all those qualities and I didn't play it, but the the very beginning of the song, I hear so much Nick Drake in the very beginning of this song. And which, you know, does Billy even know who Nick I assume he is because he's a he's a student of the guitar, mm-hmm. but he's what, 20, 30 years. He's been dead by the time uh, Billy's born. Easily, Nick Drake had already yeah. been dead for 20 years. Yeah. So, and I think the the use of his grandfather's guitar is just another kind of special indication of this record being called home. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. where it's a little callback to his family and stuff. I think it's a it's a great song. This is the one I listen to like over and over again.
3: Amy likes this one too. She, it becomes an earworm for her. The
1: the vocal part. Da, 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 mm. da,
2: da. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> Good. That means we're not all going to have the earworm for the rest of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. It's a boy.
2: (laughs) Watch it fall. Watch it fall. It's a fun little bluegrass exercise,
1: right? It feels very very much more country, I think, than anything else on this album does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, in reading the articles before I had listened to the album, I expected much more of this sound because every- article written about billy strings is like the country musician to watch out for the country Mm. bluegrass musician and it's like he's not really country i mean he he makes a few songs that are country-ish songs but he's very much in the bluegrass field like so this i was like okay this i could see why somebody would listen to this and say okay this would be a country song with a little bit of bluegrass thrown into it but everything else on this album is Mm. bluegrass
3: I think some genres are just trying to claim them really because they're right. so good.
2: There's that, <laughs> that but I al- also think there's like I don't think people can define it. So I was cutting the music for this yesterday and I had the window mm-hmm. open and Heather was outside doing something in the in the yard and she's like, "Why are you listening to country?" <laughs> and I said, "I'm not listening to country. I'm listening to bluegrass." And she's like, "Isn't it the same thing? Country, bluegrass?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No." <laughs> It's not the same, so this is uh, this song's pretty much Billy's environmental song, yeah. I mm-hmm. that's what it looks like. Uh, lyrics like junkies hooked on fossil fuel heading for withdrawal. How long till there's nothing left to fall?
3: Yeah, it, it, he's he is. I mean, I don't know, I wouldn't say he's an environmentalist, but like one of the parts of the uh CBS Sunday morning thing is they had him at his ho- home in uh, Nashville and he was bass fishing, you know, and he was he seems to be attuned to the environment and it didn't surprise me to to see that on the album to have some kind of you know you want clean clean water and clean skies
2: yeah it's a good tune sounds like this
4: well the old man said the great big apple's rotten to the core with wall street skimming from the till while no one minds the store How could someone get so low In a building so damn tall How long until there's nothing left at all Well, chunks the size of Delaware Are falling off the poles Our heads are buried in the sand Our leaders dug the holes Like junkies hooked on fossil fuels Heading for withdrawal. How long until there's nothing left at all
1: it's a good song. Yeah. Good tune. I'm super happy to hear, too, that he is maybe, like you said, maybe not necessarily an environmentalist, but because he's somebody who likes fishing, who likes being out in nature, mm-hmm. he's actually paying attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because uh, where I'm from in Utah, there are a bunch of people who there's just a huge disconnect be- between them. And they're yeah. like, well, I love hunting and fishing and stuff, but I hate environmentalists. Ooh. And it's like, <laughs> well, wait, wait a minute. You can't... Yeah. So you enjoy going hunting and fishing and boating and, and four-wheel riding. And all that yes. stuff, but you hate environmentalists, yes, they're the ones that are trying to protect that so that you can keep doing that. You understand they that, they right? Don't oh, care, no, but all, I hate them, they're like they're clean all up after yourself, the radicals. Exactly. So lefty hits some the of discussions Hippie that, radicals. Yeah, yeah.
3: That's some of the discussions that I would have with Matt being a golfer. <laughs> and I'm a fisherman and all of the stuff, the fertilizers from the golf course going into the rivers I'm like thanks,
2: Matt. Fair enough. Did you find Man. your ball?
1: <laughs>
2: no, no, I lost that one. So I uh, left it in the left it in the woods. <laughs> Sorry about that. Long Forgotten I Dream. I in the fairway. <laughs> I never think to find it there. Yeah. Well, what's it doing there? I, I mean,
3: would have been in the know. woods what for the 15
2: minutes. Oh, it was right here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Long Forgotten Dream. Even Billy will admit that he has no idea what the hell he's talking about in this song. <laughs> uh, he said that he wrote it one night while playing the South by Southwest Festival in Texas, and he and his band were staying at an Airbnb. The entire band had gone to bed or passed out, and he was still up, so he stayed up all night writing, and the lyrics came to him as the sun was rising and he was exhausted and said that he entered into some kind of weirdo lucid state. Mm. He he said he hasn't a clue what it's about, but it is some pretty cool stuff, according to him. (laughs) And I concur. It's certainly some of the more uh, verbose lyrics on the record. The lyrics, can you see us scratching backwards through the seams, crawling circles on our backs with our dumbfounded expertise? Just the thought of this is riddled with disease. Yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) Uh, And if anything, it's irrelevant what he's talking about because it sounds... So good. Uh, And there's some really interesting use of echo on his vocals in this song that I love. And it reminds me of another bluegrass artist, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because we all know him as the rock and roll god Robert Plant. Uh, (laughs) Because it reminds me of uh, Battle of Evermore, where they Mm. use that echoey vocal sound, which has some bluegrassy elements in it. Zeppelin did some similar stuff, and to great effect. And I like it a lot. I like the way this song sounds a lot. Uh sounds like this.
4: Would you listen when the wind decides to whisper English fate? Would you heed the words within the winds that whisper it's too late? Could you see the reasons falling from the sky Oh the local screaming madly as you turn around and die? Could you recognize the message to be laid? It's
2: a great driving song. Yeah. The next one, not so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what does uh, what the term English fate refer to? I don't I tried know. to look that up, and it wasn't. It's not like a common saying that I could find anywhere.
2: I, English I fate also, is that what I it hope, says? Yeah, yeah, it says
1: English fate, and it's it's in the, both the it's lyrics that I looked up. It's capitalized, capitalized, so like mm-hmm. English, English. But yeah, I was I was just curious if anybody if it was a word that I just did not, I was not aware of, or a phrase I was not aware of. But
2: I've never heard that expression before. But Billy Simon, probably can't explain it either. So. Yeah, <laughs> Simon uh, Cole, our, our UK consultant, uh, go ahead and uh, send him a send us a message about what English fate means. It's Probably like some weird dinner. Oh, I also appetizer. thought it might be
1: like a Michigan thing or like a, a yeah, a, maybe a it's Northeast like a pate. Thing, but, yeah. English pate. <laughs> it's a English pate. They just misread that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Highway Hypnosis, very fast song in parts yeah. about that uh, road weary feeling we all get when we're driving for too damn long. Driving from Kansas City to your place in Colorado, oh, Denver. God. Oh, because that's just nothing but I 70. Like, yep. <laughs> if you can let go of the wheel, you let go of the wheel and take a nap in the driver's seat and wake up on the road still because it's just <laughs> flat. That so, was- I've had it. Driving from line uh, roads. oh okay, god go ahead, they're terrible. Uh, driving from here back to Michigan, mm-hmm. so from Vegas to Michigan, and it's freaky when you're out in the great western part of the country and you have a couple of hundred miles of dead straight road,
3: Damn. and it
2: lulls you to sleep, and uh, other parts of your brain kind of you're like I'm hearing things I'm not hearing. It's weird and it's unsettling, and uh, I did not choose the fast part of this song to clip out, I chose this strange section in the middle. (laughs) Sounds like this. Picking that same part over and over again. Yeah, it's the mandolin. <laughs> Just picking that same part diddley, over. It get gets in your head. And so I remember uh, this one time, Heather and I were driving from Denver back to Michigan, middle of the night, middle of Illinois somewhere outside of Chicago, like west of Chicago. And I'd been driving it, at that point like 14 hours in a row. And I saw something in the road and there was no shoulder because we were near Eureka, Illinois. There's no shoulder. So I, I'm like looking behind me. There's no cars on the road because three o'clock in the morning, it's I-80. I just stopped the truck because I thought there was something in front of me, like an accident in front of me. And I got out of the car. There's nothing there. Nothing. Oh, my God. Zero. I've been just like, <laughs> blah. Heather's like, what What are you doing? I'm like, there's, there's a car right there. She's like, there's no car. And I also had bitched because I thought I was getting like stung by the same mosquito in the car. I'm like, I got like five or six bites. I get to the hotel finally and she's like, You have zero. Nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> I'm like, Well, what the hell was that? I'm like mm. Highway hypnosis. Highway uh, hypnosis.
1: Highway
2: hypnosis.
1: I don't know if I don't know if it's worse driving west to east or east to west, because at least West to east, well, east to west. At least you eventually get to the mountains and stuff changes. Sure. But driving west to east, it just stays flat, and you just yeah. keep going, and you're like, and west this to just east falls off somewhere. West to east,
2: also, you're driving into darkness. Yes. East to west, you 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 can get. Like, the sun's in my eyes for a couple hours. So at least you're distracted. You're like, I got to do, I got to put the shade mm. down. I got to put my sunglasses on or yeah. take them off. I got to, you're you're busy doing other things. Going west to east, it's just a straight, like, <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I
3: found that it was easier to drive at night because I wasn't expecting to see anything. You know, when you're driving during the day and you're expecting to see something and you don't. I'm like, oh.
2: It's more corn. Oh. More wheat. Thanks, Kansas.
3: with the Carp River again in the Upper Peninsula. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, eight
2: Carp. It's the same Carp River. It just winds around. <laughs> Where, did we just pass the Carp River? Yeah. Did you go in a circle? No, same river. <laughs> two hours later. Is that, an, is that yep. a deer on the side of the road? Yeah, like 40 of them. <laughs> All the way across the two from Escanaba. Like, oh my God, I'm going to die here. No, I'm going to die here.
1: Ah, uh, enough to leave. Yeah. Oh, enough to wait, leave. We, we got to talk about one more thing about highway hypnosis. Oh, okay. First. Please okay. do. So it was uh it was co-written with Billy's friend Ronnie McCory uh, and his oh, son yeah. Evan, and it came from a story Billy told about one time when he was driving uh, and slipped into a bit of a dream state. Uh, so he he had a little bit of inspiration with this, and he said, "Quote." I dreamt that I was at my grandmother's house. She's been dead and gone for a while now, but in my dreams, she woke me up and I realized I was driving. In the lyrics of the song, and the angels, they watch over me to keep me from disaster. I'm talking about my grandma saying to me, you're driving, wake up. (laughs) So (laughs) shut up, grandma. (laughs) Shut up, grandma. Don't talk to me, grandma. I'm driving. (laughs) Wake up. You're still at the wheel. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Sorry, I just thought that was a great anecdote, I I had (laughs) to throw it in there.
2: It's a good anecdote. Enough to leave. We've talked about it on this program a lot over the years, Kyle, about how wonderful music is that two people can have completely different interpretations of what a song means. Mm -hmm. Or the same person can have two different interpretations about what the song means, depending on where they are in their lives when they're listening to it. Mm. So Billy has said... That this song is about two separate friends of his who overdosed on heroin cut with fentanyl within two weeks of one another. Um, But when he showed this to another friend, they thought it was more about lost love than someone who had passed away. And I think both of those can be fairly similar. Uh, You can certainly mourn the loss of a relationship like the loss of a loved one. But music has that power to mean so many different things to different people. And it sounds like this.
4: I can almost feel you near What am I supposed to do With my afternoons No, I won't hear your call No, I won't see you soon What can you say to me To ease my heart in pain Could you send a ray of light To come down and dry the rain again
3: I don't know about you Matt, but that last line <laughs> you know it's like I'm singing it to mom.
2: Yep, absolutely. And yeah. uh, it has more of a country vibe, like you said, Kyle, than bluegrass. But because of because of who I am, right? I love this song so much because I love that it isn't as bouncy and quick Mm -hmm. as a lot of the other songs on this record. It's melancholy, which fits the mood of the lyrics perfectly. And while I can appreciate how adept he is at all the instruments and playing them really fast, something can be said for playing it slowly with heart. There's a reason why my favorite rock guitarists aren't the Eddie Van Halen's of the world, but are the David Gilmour's and Alex Lifeson's of the world, Mm. because instead of coming from their fingers, the playing seems to come from their souls, and that makes a ton of difference to me. I think there's such a unique quality to playing a solo, or even not a solo, just playing that really well, that that speaks to me very specifically and i just i think it's a fantastic song.
3: They sings it with a ton of emotion too, just almost a pleading kind of sound. Yeah. You know, what am i supposed to do? Just yeah, really what
2: a, hurting. It's good, Kyle.
1: Yeah, i like this one a lot. It definitely um the first time i heard it i definitely interpreted it interpreted it as a love song and then in reading the lyrics i was like no this is definitely about somebody dying and then i found that same quote that you had uh where he says you know it was originally about two friends of his dying within just a couple of weeks of one another and then he played it for somebody and they were like oh it's a love song like or a breakup song i guess Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i I think that's interesting that comes up over like you said it comes up over and over and over again that we see people depending upon where they're at in life depends on how they interpret these songs so Mm
2: -hmm. what's the next one kyle
1: Hollow Heart. Uh, Jumping back to a little bit more of a classic bluegrass song. This one, I think, is kind of a love song of sorts. On the surface, it's clearly about someone whose partner keeps cheating on them, but then crawls on home because they're in love with one another and can't get away from it. But I do wonder if not only the idea of them being cheated on is the partner not cheating on them with someone else, but doing drugs. Mm -hmm. They've both gotten clean and they're in a relationship, but then... One of them stays clean, but the partner keeps going back and keeps going back and keeps going back and then crawls on home and gets in bed and sleeps it off and then is good for a little while and then goes and does drugs again. Or is it really them, you know, actually cheating on them?
2: I'd say both are fair interpretations. It's kind of, it has a lyrical quality of country music where, Mm -hmm. regardless of what it's about, it's a toxic relationship. Yes. Uh, one thing I really did uh, like about this song, this one's not one of my favorites, but what I love about this song is uh, how they use the background vocals on this one. They're, they they kind of thicken up the, uh, the main vocal line. Sounds like this.
4: You'll always have a place with me, dear, a place inside this hollow heart of mine. But it's all right, my little darling, ain't rather just keep stepping down the line.
1: Good song.
2: Love Like Me. Hey, it's a different instrument. (laughs) Not just guitar on this one. It's got dobro.
3: Oh, yeah. Very nice.
2: Yeah. And again, it's a little little slower, so it immediately appeals to me. The the dobro is played by Jerry Douglas, uh, who some people regard as the finest dobro player in the world. He's got 14 Grammys. Has an incredible resume of who's who of country and bluegrass. It's a lovely little song. I think it's fantastic. It sounds like this.
4: Honey, I will be your
3: man. It's a simple little song. Yeah. It's very, very much a country style.
1: It was written by uh, John Weisberger, uh, and it originally had the whole band involved, but they, uh, when they got in the studio, they slimmed it down to this, and I think it's probably better off this way. It's a nice little, so. little interlude in the middle uh, of uh, the rest of the, the album. Everything's
2: the same. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Oh that's the name oh, wait, of that that that's the song. song. Oh okay. <laughs> so uh, this so- cool. song <laughs> <was like> also
1: <laughs> you said that already Kyle. Didn't we already everything's play that the the song? Oh.
2: Yeah, everything's the same. Although so this that,
1: that being said, uh, the dobro does continue here. So Yes.
2: Um- also, Jerry Douglas on dobro again. Mm. And Billy said that 75% of this song was written by Jared Walker, who is the mandolin player on the record of the fast songs on the record. I like the interplay of this solo section the best. Perhaps it is the inclusion of the dobro that does it, that kind of fills out that sound, but I dig it. Solo section sounds like this.
3: down your home and dirty dance in
2: the flame
1: <laughs> it's too blurry matthew i couldn't see it what were you pointing at
2: <laughs> those are the exact lyrics i wrote down because hell yeah those are the best lyrics i'll drink your whiskey <laughs> i'll drink your beer by this time tomorrow i'll be anywhere but here i'll burn down your orchard and dance in the flame no matter where i roam everything's the same
1: see?
2: <laughs> those are great lyrics Right.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I thought this was a re- great little song. I think it definitely is a reflection of like what musicians go through when they're on the road. The mm. idea that it's just you're there, you got to party hard while you're there, and then tomorrow, you're gone.
2: Yeah, and on to the next city. Uh, uh, guitar piece. Yeah, that's P E A C E. P E A C E. Guitar piece. It's a gorgeous instrumental, and it's something that reminds me a bit of Michael Hedges and what he might do if he played bluegrass. Because there's it's not like your standard bluegrass instrumental piece mm-hmm. where it's quick picking all kinds of you know, really fast stuff. I really like this song. He deals a lot here with, you know, in minor tunings and makes it sound so much different. And I feel like this would be an amazing live song that could probably go on for twenty minutes instead of the four minutes here on this record. Mm-hmm. I feel like he could he could expand this for a long time via like uh, like fish or uh, bands like that here's a little bit of guitar piece
1: definitely see him expanding this like you suggested and you know like you said mike it probably did happen in concert but it's specifically because he said of this quote i had this little guitar riff already in my head but the night before i had watched this george harrison movie with my girlfriend they were talking about robbie shankar a lot on that film and for some reason i wanted to play my guitar without knowing what i was going to play i wanted to make something up on the spot and feel it not have any script not have any plan so i turned on the microphone had glenn put down a drone with the harmonium and played over it i was trying to play for my soul
2: so yeah, you can definitely hear the Indian influence. Yeah, yeah, big time. I think Randy, you even said that while you were just listening to the clips while we were just getting ready for this. That it sounded like a little Ravi Shankar, a little like a uh, sitari. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's it's a good piece. It's a good guitar piece.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I
2: see what you did there uh, <laughs> F- freedom. <laughs> Yeah, I like this one a lot. Not Michael, uh, not George Michael's "Freedom," right? No, (laughs) okay. I like this
3: one a lot because the and Amy kind of latched onto it too because of the vocal harmonies. She's really big on the Eagles, and actually, all through the album, there's a lot of you know harmonies that you would expect. This one in particular almost has that. That barbershop quartet kind of harmony work and be t- you know the singing callback.
2: Yeah, there's something cool about how all the voices blend together on this song. It's it's almost barbershoppy. There's a little like southern spiritual mm-hmm. aspect to it going on here. Great like a last brother, without
1: thou, kind right. of thing. A Great saw, song
2: for the last. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I go say
1: ahead. I saw somebody online call it a, a gospel song that's not about Jesus. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Fair okay enough.
2: I could see that big time it's a great song for the last song on the record you know yeah. and he said that it it feels like the credits of a film that the way this song runs for him it feels like the credits and there's some amazing mandolin runs mm. uh, and the vocals it seems to be a, a perfect culmination of the whole record sounds like this
4: I want to want I want- Sit down. I can't sit down. I want the robe. I want the robe. I want the crown. Fear not the day. Fear not the day when all is lost. When all is lost. This earthly wealth, this earthly wealth ain't worth the cost. Worth the cost. Yeah,
2: I love the way that wraps up. Uh, it's yeah. super cool.
3: It's it's such an easy album to listen to, have it on rotation because none. of I mean, there is a song that says everything's the same, but <laughs> nothing on the. You know, the album isn't <laughs> actually doing that. You know, I feel like you ha- you can have it on shuffle and it won't make a difference.
2: So that's a uh, that's home, right? Mm, yeah. So. Mike, so the reason you are on our program today is because you've been participating a member in our Patreon program for over a year now, and I'm going to explain to anyone out there how they could get involved in something like this for themselves before we wrap up. So our Patreon site is the only place you're going to find all the extras that we work so hard to provide, like judo chops, which are mini episodes like five to ten minutes about artists or albums or songs that don't warrant full treatment of an entire episode of Audio Judo. There are bits that are taken out of episodes for whatever reasons. There's bloopers, some full interviews, at least one. Um, and we have three tiers currently. There's the Shout It Out Loud tier, which would only cost you $1 in the US or whatever the equivalent of is of $1 in your local currency. So for that amount, uh, you get a shout out on each episode. For $5 a month, the Front Row Tier, you get a shout-out on each episode, early access to full episodes, and access to all the bonus content. And with a more significant investment of $20 a month, the Backstage Pass Tier, which is you get everything that is available at other tiers, special personalized gift from Kyle and I, but most importantly, after paying for one year, you get to do what Mike just did and host an episode of Audio Judo with me and Kyle on the album of your choosing, like this. You can choose Billie Eilish if you wanted. You can choose The Beat Farmers if you wanted. We, we don't, don't do care. <laughs> <laughs> so we completed four of these now And they're a ton of fun uh, We've also changed the way we do that tier as well We used to tell everyone that you could only activate that for a f- After a full year It's still a full year of patronage to use it But if you want to stay on it $20 after you record an episode After two years you can use it again And so on and so forth So You can find the link to our Patreon That's the right one, right? Yep. Patreon, Patreon account on our website AudioJuda.com Or find it on any of our socials as well. Our socials, just to get this out of the way, our socials are facebook.com forward slash audio judo or x at audio judo or Instagram at audio underscore judo. Or you can send us an email at info at audio judo.com. We respond to that fairly quickly. So before we say goodbye... I just want to say some things about my brother. Oh. So not only has he been my musical mentor, but he is someone that I have looked up to my whole life and admired. And a lot of that has to do with him expressing his opinions on what he believes, even if it pisses someone off. He never shied away from telling you what he thought. And when I began putting together this idea for a podcast, my biggest fear was that I would actually run out of things to say that were worth Listening to. Yeah. Uh, part of me could care less how many people tuned in. I mean, the more the better. Let's not lie about it. I love more yeah. people listening, but I really just wanted to have something worthwhile to say. And other than my wife, who has always been my strongest supporter, I have had no other supporter like my brother who has encouraged me every step of the way. So when I was scared to death to talk to one of my idols, Fish, On this podcast, (laughs) he reminded me that you've done this before and that you know what you're doing and it'll be great. And it was because he reinforced that I had something worthwhile and valuable to add. And that means the world to me. So, Mike, let me publicly say thank you for the support and encouragement and brotherly love that you have shown. It certainly hasn't gone unnoticed or appreciated. My pleasure, man. Uh, my,
1: my pleasure. And thank so, you for picking this album. This yeah. This is a great album. It was totally unexpected when it's like Matthew's like, you know, he picked a bluegrass album. I'm like, oh, come <laughs> on, man. Well, <laughs> this is great.
3: This is wonderful. Well, it was out of my comfort zone too, obviously, because I could have talked for days on uh, *Ferment* or something, you know, uh, <laughs> any any other album. But this one, really, I've been listening to it. I can't stop tapping my foot, and I thought maybe maybe you guys would get a kick out of it too. Yeah, oh,
2: absolutely. One. I do. And because there are so many records that you could have chosen mm-hmm. that I could have I could have taken my notes and turned them over and just said, "Okay, yeah, right. let's talk <laughs> for 2 hours." Just <laughs> off the top of my head. I don't need to I don't need notes, but this this becomes a musical education and becomes something that you got to dig into and perhaps you find something like that uh Jonathan uh, Maylander's solo record that I found through this mm-hmm. that I've been listening to on my way home from work for the last week and a half, that I think is just spectacular.
3: Yeah, I actually, I, I went fishing with um, Nicole, a friend of ours, and mm-hmm. and her boyfriend David, and she looked at me sheepishly and she said, "Have you ever heard of uh, um,
2: Sturgill Simpson?" Sturgill Simpson.
3: Yeah, and I said, yeah, I I listened to it a lot because I have uh, been listening to Billy Strings Pandora station, and that's what how I found out about uh, green grass, blue sky, or blue gr- blue green sky, blue grass. <laughs> It's a Michigan bluegrass band. I could never get the the two married up right, but uh, and leftover salmon and the uh, the uh, string dusters and all that. Mm-hmm. And she was like, "Oh my god, I thought you were always a rocker. I was afraid to ask you about that because we wanted to play a bunch of that music." And I'm like, "Yeah, I have no problem with it. I started singing along." She goes, "Crazy,
1: <laughs> crazy. That's
2: awesome. Yeah, it is fun." So. Thank you again for coming on. It's been you our pleasure. Me. Our pleasure. We we appreciate yeah. the support mm. as well. Although we're recording now in the middle of the day, we don't have. <laughs> we're not drinking beer, so unfortunately, we're not drinking beer. But normally, I'll, it pays file, for all this beer. under
1: the sober episodes. It's right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all, all three of them.
1: All, yeah. <laughs> all three sober episodes.
2: Uh, so uh, we have episodes uh, f- to finish out our year. We have episodes coming up from my bloody Valentine. We have our annual holiday episode with our guest host uh, Heather as well, and our top ten albums of the year, which is always a big hit and always very interesting since we don't we don't talk about it in advance, so you never know what what each other are going to pick. So. Yeah. Mm. Other than that, we will talk to everybody in a couple weeks. And uh, if we don't talk to you before Thanksgiving, have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. And bye-bye, everybody.
1: Take care, everybody.
0: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house. The happy family. The money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem?
1: What's the problem?
0: Would you lie? Would you cheat?
1: Were they shot? Were they
0: shot? Would you kill? Yes. My mom is dead. My mom is right there. From Airship.